My name is Randy. It's good to have you with us if you're a guest today. And uh, we're excited about today. Uh, this is kind of a little different about Santa uh, before he got to the North Pole. And uh, like we've been saying, if you're new to us, uh, we're not going to think about this after he got there. Uh, that's up to you as parents. We're putting that in your hands. Uh, but we're talking about the stories about a man named St. Nicholas uh, who has become uh, that man in red uh, that, we that we celebrate and hear a lot about this time of year. And uh, we talked about some very famous stories uh, of St. Nick, and there are a lot of legends out there about him. We talked last week about one uh, that uh, is probably the most famous of all, where he shared generosity by delivering money uh, in the window of uh, a poor man's home. And doing so, he provided uh, money for his daughters to be married uh, so that they could escape poverty. So that was pretty important. And we said uh, in the video, if you remember, if you were here, uh, that uh, one of the bags of money fell into a stocking that was hanging near the fire. And uh, from that, we get the tradition of hanging stockings up and, uh, and giving gifts uh, at this time of year. So that's kind of a tradition that came through there. If you want to watch the whiteboard videos or show them to someone, they're on our Facebook page. Uh, you can see them on our uh, uh, live feed on Facebook. We also last week gave each family one of these uh, skinny stockings. And we gave you this to take home, and we asked if you would uh, kind of prayerfully consider putting some excess, some of the things in your life that maybe you shouldn't be doing, uh, maybe some uh, money that you didn't buy a cup of coffee or you didn't go out to eat or you, you forego one gift uh, from your kids, put that in there. And we got some neat stories already coming along from those. And I'll, I'll tell you where you can get one of those a little bit later uh, as you exit the building. But anyway, today uh, we are going to be moving on a little bit and our uh, our story today, uh, you probably saw a little bit there just in the video, is about Santa, or Nicholas, uh, who had a heart to care for people who were in need. We saw him running to rescue uh, some sailors who had been falsely accused and uh, who had been uh, come to their town, and he came rushing to bring justice to them because he had influence in the town, and he wanted justice for everybody. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today because, you know, justice is near to the heart of God. God cares about justice for people. He cares about how we treat people. He cares about eternity, but he also cares about the moment as well. Not just about bad guys being arrested and punished and innocent people being exonerated, but God also cares and recognizes that every person should be seen clearly, equally valued in the image of God, fully loved by God, fully loved and accepted by God's people. And that's kind of an aspect of Christmas that maybe we don't think a lot about. I believe that God wants the church to be justice-minded, that God wants us to be aware of the injustice in our world and be willing and ready to run, if necessary, to bring justice to people who are downtrodden, to a, to are misaligned, and those who are ignored. You know, there's no doubt that Jesus' first ministry when he came to this earth was to bring salvation. There's no doubt at all about that. It was to bring salvation to all people, not just to the Jewish nation, but to all of the world, people who will ever live. But he also had a part for people who were dealing with injustice. And so in Luke chapter 4, where we're going to find our scripture today, Jesus is giving a proclamation that he is here to bring justice. And this is an interesting passage that I don't know that I've ever studied a great deal. Uh, but in looking at this, it it's really kind of adds a new facet, not only to Jesus' ministry in his heart, but also to the church's responsibility as well. You know, we, we know that we do good things in our, our community and around the world but we need, need a, a really solid basis for understanding why Jesus wants that to happen. He doesn't just care about people being in, he in heaven. He cares about people's lives being made better. 
about the, those who are innocent uh, victims of injustice, for that to be righted. And so we read this in Luke chapter 4. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues. Everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth then, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So in our Christmas story, we've, we've kind of read this uh, narrative about Jesus being born in Bethlehem. We know that was true. We know, we talked last week about him having to escape with his parents or his parents taking him as a young child to Egypt. And the scripture says, out of Egypt, I will call my son. And so Jesus then came out of Egypt. He grew up in a small town, his parents' hometown called Nazareth, which was north. And, uh, and throughout his young adult life, he lived there. Then he was called uh, to go and to be baptized by John the Baptist. And he spent some time in ministry in the area of Galilee, which is a little bit south. And then he returns back to his hometown of Nazareth. And uh, the hometown boy coming back, not necessarily as a hero, but he comes there to define his ministry. And again, like I said, Jesus primarily came to bring the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, in the Bible, the word gospel is referenced over a hundred times, and it really is the greatest of all news. But Jesus also came to bring good news to those who were at the bottom of the heap. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today, because in our world today, there are many people, and we mentioned last week about some of the statistics of people who are living below the, way below the line of poverty around the world, beyond what any of us could imagine. And Jesus said, here, I, I've come to bring good news for the poor. I've come to bring release for captives. I've come to bring sight for the blind, relief for the oppressed, freedom and transformation. And the last thing he said is, I've come to bring the year of the Lord's favor. Now, that term isn't overly familiar to us, but what he's really saying there, and another translation has, it's the year of Jubilee. And if you were to go back in the Old Testament, you, you would read back what the year of Jubilee really was. I'm not sure how often they practiced it, but every now and then, a year of Jubilee was designated, and the year that would transform society, it would make right everything that sin and greed and everything else had kind of corrupted. In the year of Jubilee, all the debts were canceled, which sounds pretty good. All the slaves were set free. The, the land was not farmed. It laid fallow for a year. And the people were just healed and restored. And so the people longed for the year of Jubilee to come, a refreshing, a time of renewal, a time of making everything right. But you know what? That year was a voluntary thing, and, not, and it was a movement of God. And that's why I said I don't know how often the year how many times it was actually celebrated, it was designated, but you probably know the people of God didn't always do what God wanted. So I'm not sure how common it was, but the idea of a year of Jubilee was a relief. It was hope for people who were struggling. And so Jesus said, I've come to bring the year of the Lord's favor. I've come to bring Jubilee. I've bring to, come to bring hope and healing. You know, we, when we think about this, we hear some of this kind of terminology in our world today that in many ways I think has been kind of misconstrued because we have to understand the, the balance of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and also the ministry of the church to bring justice. Not once did Jesus ever mention what, what we here might, might hear today called a social gospel. 
He, he doesn't talk about social justice. He doesn't talk about income inequality or the wholesale redistribution of wealth. He doesn't talk about that because he knows that doesn't wealth, that doesn't work. Jesus didn't come to change the government of that day. If you notice, he didn't spend any time trying to influence the government uh, and the governor and the king or anything else. What Jesus did is he talked to people's hearts. He talked to people. He talked about compassion and charity and generosity because these are the things that come from the heart and not from the law. The moment we try to legislate stuff like that, we know it doesn't work that well, really, because people rebel against that. What Jesus said, I want to touch the heart. And he says, if you see someone in need and you don't help them, then your heart is all wrong. In fact, over in 1 John chapter 3, John says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? How can we love people if we see a need and we turn our hearts and we turn our minds and we deliberately ignore that kind of need. That's the sort of things that Jesus said, I want to speak to your heart. And that's how he taught us how to love people. See, the truth is that the birth of Christ has impacted the world more than anything or anyone in the areas of justice. A man named J.M. Roberts said this, we, Would none of us today be what we are if a handful of Jews nearly 2,000 years ago had not believed that they had known a great teacher seen him crucified, dead, buried, and then rise again. Well, what he's saying there is that the world that we live in today that we enjoy and appreciate would not exist were it not for Jesus. This country, I believe firmly, would not exist had it not been for the impact and the influence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The kind of heart that we have, a people that, that help other people, and we're not perfect in that, but let me just say, we would not be who we are. None of us would be here were it not for the influence of Christianity down through the years, the belief, the passion, the influence, and the power of Jesus Christ. Let me, let me explain that, because that's a big statement, I think. Because nothing like Christianity has had anywhere near the kind of impact on the value of human life in bringing justice to our world. Let me show you some examples. In the, in the area of human rights, the concept of universal human rights comes exclusively from the idea in the Bible that all people are created in the image of God and that every one of us have a soul that only Jesus can save. We all have a soul. Every soul is of equal value. doesn't matter who you are. God cares for you as you are, every person, and we ought to value the rights of every human being. In the area of women, for example, in ancient culture, women were treated as possessions. But when Christians came along their influence, they demanded that baby girls would be valued as much as a baby boy, that women were not to be uh, ignored, that widows would be cared for by the community. And by the way, the Christian community cared for even non-Christian widows, and that amazed that culture. They also demanded that men would marry and not just live with their women or have mistresses. They, they required that there was a commitment made on the part of both and that they raised the value of women. In the area of, ch of children, children in that culture were not valued either. And, and even today in some pro-choice cultures, the, the value of children aren't there. But in the Christian culture, we've been the ones to promote a pro-life view and the one to insist that orphans are cared for and not abandoned. In the area of human slavery, early Christians elevated the, the, the status of slaves and the oppressed in society. In fact, not only uh, were they elevated, but they were also accepted as equals within the church. In the book of uh, Philemon, for example, you hear the story of a slave named uh, Onesimus 
who Paul counted as a brother, invited him in. And tradition says that there were slaves in the early church that served and worshipped alongside their masters and obviously in many cases probably led to their freedom. But Christianity had been the ones that elevated the status of people. A man named William Wilberforce was the one with a Christian organization that led to the end of international slave trade. Christians are the one who are the pivotal force behind changing the gladiator spectacles, the contests that used to, to happen in front of people where man was forced to kill another person, and also for stopping cannibalism all over the world in primitive societies. Because every time the gospel moves in, it automatically elevates the level of morality and the value of human life. That's the impact that Christianity has had, even beyond salvation. The reality is that Christians have always led in the areas of compassion and mercy. Before Jesus, there really wasn't any organized charitable effort uh, of any sort. But Jesus told his people, you know what? We need to reach out to the needy and the lowest lowest in society. In fact, he spent more time with the people who were in need, those who were poor, than he did with those who were wealthy and those who had power. He taught compassion. In stories like the Good Good Samaritan, I'm sure you've heard that story about the man who helped his enemy when nobody else would. Jesus was the one who kind of laid out the concept of having mercy for people who were struggling. And the church has taken that mission on. The church, following Christ, had the spirit of Christ and compassion and love and justice. Today, we have Christian hospitals, uh, as reflected in their names, orphanages, Salvation Army, soup kitchen, thrift stores, and benevolent ministries all over the world. And when a tragedy happens, who rushes there? It's the Christians, isn't it? Organizations like IDES, International Disaster Emergency Services, that rushes to the site to provide support and supplies and host uh, groups to come in and work. Christian groups travel all over the world to be able to minister to people who are in need. What that is is mercy and compassion and action, recognizing that people are in need, and so the church mobilizes and rushes to meet the need. And these are all things that have come from the birth of this baby. I bet you never thought about Christmas having that kind of impact on the world that literally has impacted the entire world. The birth of a baby did that in our world so long ago. He brought love and sharing and mercy and compassion and tolerance and peace and hope and healing. And so the message of Christmas is is one about healing in many ways. Where a baby came into a world that brought, first of all, healing of our souls from the destruction that came from sin, but also healing in the areas of poverty and sickness and prejudice and human brokenness. And what Jesus is saying to us, or what God's saying to us in Jesus, there is freedom, there is recovery, there is healing, and there is hope. And that's an incredible message that, that we don't need to miss about this time of year of what God is doing in our life and what God is doing through us. So in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is kind of defining and declaring his mission, not just the good news of the gospel, but the justice he would bring and also what his church would bring in the future. And we get a chance to be a part of that. We get a chance to be a part of that. You know, many times we have heard what Jesus said, you will always have the poor with you. And we know that's to be true, right? And probably many of us have tried to, to help people who were poor. And, and sometimes to raise them out of that poverty. It isn't always possible, to be honest with you, to do that. But we don't, we don't need to give up about that. Jesus said, you'll always have the poor with you. We, we can't solve it, but we also shouldn't just shrug our shoulders and go about our way. 
It means that when we see a need, we reach out to help that need if we can do so. Now, when Jesus said that, he's actually quoting a scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 15 that says, if among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. For the poor you will always have with you in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. So God, early on, set up this idea that, that there, poverty is going to happen. But when people are poor, we need to make sure that we have a, a heart of generosity to them, that we don't harden our heart or close our hand. It says, open wide your hand to the poor. You know what? We try to practice that as a church. We give thousands of dollars every year to about 15 different missions outside of our church. What comes in, much of it flows right back out outside of our church all over the world. Many of them are benevolent, kind of benevolent type needs. For example, we have missions such as Northwest Haiti Christian Mission and, and Waves of Mercy that many of you are familiar with who feed and clothe and educate and provide medical assistance in, in the country of Haiti. Uh, where there is desperate need, where, where poverty is, just doesn't seem to be able to be alleviated, but, but we try to meet the need as much as possible there. We send money right here in central Kentucky to the Galilean home uh, down near uh, Liberty, uh, a place where unwanted children from all over the world have found a home and have found hope. It's, an, it's a neat place to go. Through our, our, uh, our uh, thrift store, low-cost thrift store, Journey Provisions, um, we... Um, give thousands of dollars to organizations in our community who carefully vet the needs of people who are out there and provide assistance. For example, uh, Celebrate Recovery, which is one of our ministries here, Heart Ministries, and also uh, uh, Raising Awareness Woodford and the Nile. All of those ministries reach out to those who are imprisoned by addictions and those who are seeking recovery. Thousands of dollars are given out to those different type of ministries. To uh, Bluegrass Community Action, which is uh, an organization that provides money for utilities, medicine, and basic needs of people. Uh, for our food bank, uh, provide food to our community. For the family resource centers that provide clothing and other resources. For community Christmas, things like the angel tree. Uh, cops for kids. Recognizing that there are needs in our community. And we want to help those needs. And the neat thing about Journey Provisions, it turns extra resources around and able, enables us to, to bless people like that. We do all of that as a church, and we do a lot of other things as well, but, but we want you to have the opportunity this Christmas to make it personal so that you can say, you know, not only is my church sacrifice and, and do things, but, but I do personally. And the reason is because we all contend to get a little self-absorbed, especially about this time of year, you know? And, and many of us, uh, if it's not self, it's, it's family or children or whatever it might be, and, and it's easy for us to just see, I want me and mine to be cared for. And that's kind of what Jesus was dealing with here in Luke chapter 4 as we kind of move into that a little bit further as he talks about bringing justice. That Jesus had taken the scripture and obviously it was kind of a sign to him. It says he, he tucked it and it was opened to Isaiah, uh, the scripture that, that, that where this came from. And he read these things and this is what happened after he read these things. It says, then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And they all spoke well of him. And they were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. 
Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. In other words, Jesus had done all these miracles, and they were hearing all these great things about him. And so they said, Jesus, give us some of those miracles. You know, uh, turn the water to wine here and uh, heal some people and, you know, bring some people back to life. We want, we want all of that for us. But Jesus said, truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land and yet Elijah did not send to any of them, was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zephyrath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Do you see what's happening here? He's talking about justice and about blessings of God. And they're like, that sounds great. Give us some blessings. And then he switches gears and he says, but, but God doesn't always care just about you. There were people in Israel who were suffering, and God actually healed people in other countries. And he sent Elisha to minister to a widow in another country who wasn't a Jew at all. Everything was great as long as he was talking about justice and blessing and hope for those in the room. But when he began to talk about for everyone, including their enemies, they got upset with him and wanted to kill him, wanted to put him to death. And it kind of raises the question for us today, what does it mean for us that God loves everyone the same? We know that God loves us, but does God love the people in other countries and the poor and the broken and those who make horrible mistakes with their life? Does God love them as well? The people who are downtrodden, the people who are starving. Last week, we noted that one-sixth of the world lives on less than a dollar a day, that there are 100 million children, street children around the world today trying to beg and borrow, try to find some way to feed themselves. And at the same time, the average American child receives about $400 in toys alone for Christmas. What that means is that over a dollar a day is spent for our kids for just toys. That we, many of us as a country, we spend more on toys than many families spend per day on a child's shelter, clothing, food, health care, and education combined. That should tell us that, you know what, we're being a little fat, we're being a little selfish with our resources. Now, so how do we think about that? Do, do we want justice or do we want just us? It's amazing how we can twist the word, isn't it? And really, when we think of justice, it really kind of focuses on justice for ourselves. And many times we're not nearly as concerned about the needs of other people. Here's what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 12 about blessings, which all of us know we have. We are blessed to be a blessing to others. We are blessed to be a blessing to others, not to hoard it for ourselves and not to spend it all on ourselves, but to bless others as well. And these words were spoken to Abraham, was the father of the Jewish nation. God said, you're going to be a blessing, but not only to your people and your descendants, but to the entire world. And the same thing was said about Jesus, obviously. It was not just for his people. It was the entire world that the promise would be fulfilled throughout his church. So our calling as a church is to be a blessing to all people, all nations, all races, all socioeconomical status, people anywhere and everywhere. 
And that really is what we're trying to focus on this, this Christmas. That's what Skinny Santa is really all about. Instead of what are you going to get for Christmas, the question will be, what will you give for Christmas? What will you give? Let me tell you a story that I just heard, I think it was yesterday, that uh, we have a family in our church uh, that they have uh, three children, the two little girls, I think, are uh, early. They may not even be in school. I'm not sure how old they are. Very young. Uh, but when they heard the story and their parents sat and talked to them, they actually sold some of their toys to put money in their skinny stocking for the kids and, uh, and La Limonada. And I think that's pretty cool. You know, I really do. Uh, yeah. These, um, so, uh, so they're going to put their money in this, this little stocking. And they're going to deliver it next week. And I think that's neat. I think those are great, great parenting right there. When you talk to your kids and they decide to sell what they have to help somebody who has much, much less. And so let me review our, our, uh, our challenges there on, on, our, uh, on our, our uh, challenges for Skinny Santa. <laughs> the first one is to sh share Skinny. And that's kind of what we talked about with our stocking. Uh, to share the story uh, of, Je of Jesus with other people. And you can do that by talking to your children, talking to family members, talking to friends, coworkers. And the second part is to go Skinny. Uh, we talked about it would be great if you decided maybe to forego some gifts in some ways uh, to kind of help a child in need. Our stockings are going to go to uh, uh, this uh, community in uh, Guatemala called La Limonada, and we're going to help the academy. The children there have uh, food, shoes, medical attention, education supplies. And so we're challenging you to kind of live a little skinnier uh, during this season and contribute a portion of that to the kids in Guatemala. And the third part is to live skinny, to live skinny. We're encouraging you to live skinny on an ongoing basis. Maybe you decide to cut down your life a little bit in your time so that you can spend time investing in a child. We talked about being able to mentor a child or being able to serve in children or student ministry. Uh, we talked about maybe you think about foster care or adoption. Or maybe you think about uh, child sponsorship, a way that you can do that. You can invest in a child and, uh, who's in desperate need throughout the year. Uh, and on December the 30th, uh, Chow's going to be back to us, Chow Knox, who's with uh, uh, this ministry we're working with. He'll be back to tell you uh, about how you can sponsor a child on a month monthly basis. So uh, we're just encouraging you this time to get a little skinny uh, during this occasion so that you can make a difference in someone's life. You know, back to our little story about Nicholas. Uh, Nicholas ran to help because he saw the urgency. And you know what? And, and our, our problem today, I think, is our world is that we don't see the urgency all around us. And we don't see the urgency in a place like Haiti or in Guatemala. And we also don't see the urgency in some of the poor areas in our world because that's, that's not a part of our specific community. But the need is there, and the need is great. And I will also tell you, I think the need is great as well in our own homes and among our own children. Not financially. We've, we've pretty much not got that covered. But, but our kids are in desperate need of, of understanding what's in, of value and what's important, and, and the priorities of life. Because our kids, honestly, including ours, are kind of spoiled if we don't expose them to, to the rest of the world, to, to what life is like for, for people who don't have and don't have the resources. We have to do that. And not only for that, for people who are in need. You know, one of the things that we did with, with our kids is I took my kids to nursing homes and hospitals, and, uh, you know, for many, we, we delivered gifts for, for children, uh, we expose them to a lot of that. 
And, uh, and it was hard sometimes, you know, our kids didn't always want to go, and, but when they got there, they, they kind of enjoyed it. But we wanted them environments where they would see people in need, people who were struggling. And, and I think it may have taken, because uh, we've got three daughters who are in social work and, and, and one that's a teacher and a preacher, so hopefully that, that tug, but our kids are the ones that get lifelong lessons about serving people and, and understanding that not everybody has everything that we have. And those kind of lessons are the ones that we alone can teach them. And they'll last a lot longer, uh, to be honest with you, than that toy wheel that, that they'll probably be bored with or have torn up by the 1st of January. Uh, those are the lessons that we want to invest in our children. So this year, I would encourage you, uh, let's show the love of Christ. Let's show his generosity and his love and his hope for healing and injustice. Let's show that by reaching out and doing something different. And I'm sure that you have, you know, maybe all the gifts bought by now if you're one of those type of people. Uh, but, but we can always shave off some time to go and serve with our kids. We can shave off some, some monies that, that we might do, but instead let's do this. And let's help kids that we may never meet, but we know are struggling. Or maybe you choose to invest in a child that one day you will meet. And you'll make a, a difference in their life, their future. And maybe even more importantly, their eternity by just sharing Jesus. Those are some big challenges for us this year. And, and let me just say that if we're going to reflect the love of Christ, we, we kind of have to get a picture of his love. And we're going to transition here in a second to a time that we'll see the love of Christ that's displayed in our time of communion. The Bible says that greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friend, that you would die for someone. And that's really what Jesus did for us. He laid his life down for us. And in this moment, we're going to kind of transition to a time where we celebrate that, remember that in the sharing of the Lord's Supper. And we invite you, if you're a believer, to come and share with us in this and that, that we're going to be um, uh, taking of the cup and the bread the bread that represents the body of Christ, the cup that represents the blood of Christ that was shared for us. It's a very serious moment. And we invite you, uh, as you do so, to prepare your heart uh, to just spend some time in meditation or prayer, uh, to ask God to forgive you of your sins. And maybe for some of us, it's a sin of, of, of un being unaware, uncaring about other people. Uh, if we model Christ, we're going to have a heart for people in need and we can't save their souls, but we can certainly minister to their condition. And we can tell them about the one who can save their souls. So we invite you this morning to come and share uh, if you are a believer in the Lord's Supper. Our tradition is we walk up the middle aisle and then go on the outside so that uh, uh, we can spend that time in reflection when you get back to your seat. So I would ask if you would just to bow with me for a word of prayer. Father, we come today, and God, we're so grateful for your love. Uh, God, we know that what we ought to be because we see uh, that in Jesus. Uh, we see his love and his un unselfish heart that was willing to lay down his life for other people. Uh, God, I don't think many of us will ever be called to actually die to, 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 to save someone else in any way. But God, we can die a little bit to ourselves, to our own greed, uh, to our own wants and desires. God, we can sacrifice in, in some ways and uh, to help another. And, uh, and Jesus taught us that. But God, nowhere do we see that more clearly than just in this moment as we remember Jesus' death on the cross to forgive us of our sins. Father, we just um, we thank you for your love and for his willingness to go and die. 
And Lord, as we take this piece of bread and this cup of juice, may it be a reminder to us of your amazing love in Christ. And Lord, my prayer also is there are those here who, who are struck by uh, your love and who need to take their next step on their journey, uh, that, Lord, they would have the courage to just step over and have a, a quick conversation. God, we love you and worship you, and we pray in Christ's name. Amen.